It is time to go deeper in God's Word. It's time to engage in truth. Here is Dr. Steve Ford and Pastor John Bornsheen. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornsheen. I'm a senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs. And I am truly delighted that you are tuning in again today as we continue in a series of discussions that really require us to be biblically grounded. And that's the intent here on Engage in Truth, that we really take you back to God's Word, even with difficult topics. And the topics we've covered as of late have been government, Christians and the government, American exceptionalism. Today, we're touching on social justice And then over the next few weeks, we're going to cover topics like abortion, homosexuality, pornography, war, environmentalism, religious pluralism, and yes, even the subject of evil. Why is there evil in our world? So we're going to cover all of these over these next coming few weeks. And so we'd ask, of course, your prayers as we go over these many subjects. And so here in the studio with me to talk about this issue of social justice, Dr. Steve Ford is back with me. Dr. Ford, thank you for being here today to help me with this difficult topic. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, John. This really is a great topic. So many times I've had people come up to me and say, well, I believe in social justice. It's like, well, what do you actually mean by that when you say social justice? Because as mm-hmm. as we know and as we've discussed it's a it's a biblical term it's a biblical concept uh, originally created by our Heavenly Father that we need to embrace as His followers and His sons and daughters. So this is a great opportunity for us to clarify and differentiate how biblical social justice may be somewhat different from what we find in cultural social justice. That's right. Yeah, terminologies are important. Correct. And so often it's left as a very nebulous term that becomes a catch-all for very politically charged endeavors that don't align biblically, in fact, cause us to compromise biblical truth because it becomes an opportunity to embrace immoral behaviors or even behaviors that culturally that don't align biblically, i.e. sin. So we're not to compromise truth in these matters. So what is true social justice? And the 20th century, if you want to, let's go back here for as we examine the 20th century as a whole, has failed to lead us to some utopian paradise. I mean, optimism about humanity, progress, the ability to eliminate disease, hunger, warfare has proven seriously lacking. I mean, millions have been killed as a result of war. We're still seeing the effects of war, not only throughout Africa, but of course the Ukrainian war with Russia, which isn't just them. It's impacting the entirety of the world. And these are just but a few of the wars that are truly going on constantly all around us. The number of deaths as a result of famine continues to increase. People across the world are struggling, many lacking the basic necessities for survival, and nations continue to rise against nations. So no matter how hard the world strives for this equality, the disenfranchised, the downtrodden, the deprived, the oppressed always seem to be amongst us. So yet, despite the bleak landscape, the desire to offer social justice is in some ways seems to be ingrained in the American spirit. I mean, even at the Statue of Liberty, it had the following inscription on a plaque that was originally mounted on the inner wall of the base of the pedestal. It's now in the Statue's Museum, but it says, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, the tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. 
Uh, and these words sound wonderful, but if the world is so unfair, what should be done about it? I mean, should government take steps to redistribute the wealth? Or, or what action should be taken for the church when it comes to matters of social justice? So I, I think, Dr. Ford, to your point, we really need to set the record straight here. What does that mean? It's a very loose term that is thrown in our faces to try to move the church in a certain cultural dynamic that is often opposed to biblical truth. And to me, that's the only truth, quite frankly. Where do you go for truth outside of the Bible? I mean, there are certain truths that we can say we put a plural to that when it comes to science or maybe some versions of history. And it's like, well, history is often written by the victor. Science seems to be skewed with an agenda. Facts seem to be skewed with an outcome. I mean, where is truth? It's the Bible. Where is veritas? It's always been the word of God. So the word social justice sound great. Who doesn't want to foster justice through the world in order to benefit society in some way? And why would anyone, especially Christians, disagree on something so straightforward? But is it? So straightforward. I mean, the, the confusion often arises when we hear terms like social action, social ethics, or social gospel. And broadly speaking, social justice is about determining, maintaining, and administering the rights of individuals. But since so many different kinds of people have adopted the term, it's difficult to pin the definition down any further than that. If we look through our history books, we find in the 1840s, This term of social justice was coined by a Jesuit priest, Luigi Taparelli. But today, social justice tends to be a politicized term used by those who support supposed rights for the sexually immoral behaviors that permeate our society. You can throw out the alphabet soup there of LGBTQIA or even government agendas for redistributing the redistributing, let me say that correctly, redistributing this wealth to those who are in poverty. It's basically socialism 101, or even quote unquote women's rights, which really isn't women's rights for abortion to terminate their pregnancies. So none of these efforts are biblically supported and are in fact sin. And Dr. Ford, we talked about that. This really is becoming this cause to justify sin in our culture. And that's where we go askew with all of this. And there's a lot more to this, but let me throw out some quotes here. Uh, Michael Novak remarks in his article on defining social justice. Here's what he says. The trouble with social justice begins with the very meaning of the term. Whole books and treatises have been written about social justice without ever offering a definition of it. It is allowed to float in the air as if everyone will recognize an instance of it when it appears. This vagueness seems indispensable. And then John Stuart Mill wrote as a defining term of this, he says, society should treat all equally well who have deserved equally well of it. That is, who have deserved equally well, absolutely. This is the highest abstract standard of social and distributive justice toward which all institutions and the efforts of all virtuous citizens should be made in the utmost degree to converge. Okay, so if you understand that clearly, then uh, you, you certainly <laughs> you're are better a, than me. <laughs> you're a Wall Street Journal reader, perhaps. I, I don't know. Uh, maybe you're in college right now, and most would read that and go, huh? So social justice and politics. Let's talk about that for a moment. Politically, social justice is often seen as a contrast between liberal and conservative beliefs, and that seeks to distribute wealth in order to make society 
fair, while the latter cry foul, noting that free enterprise and capitalism can do just fine without the need for failed socialist or even Marxist ideas. So Eric Rush had some scathing words to say in his article when he was really looking at the church today, and he calls it the apostasy of social justice Christians. Here's what he says. Social justice Christians are those who profess Christianity, but who adhere to politically entrenched concepts of equality and redistribution of wealth. These ideas are ostensibly rooted in their faith, but in truth, they have been incrementally and insidiously insinuated into many American churches by Marxists, progressive politicians, and pastors whose religion has been tainted by the aforementioned parties. I declare that social justice Christianity is apostasy. Its adherents have abandoned their faith for a cause, and their religion has become perfunctory and pretextual. While some are misguided Christians, others are out-and-out Marxist posers. Ouch. (laughs) Probably get some letters on that one. Do these strong words then supply or apply to all Christians involved in some degree or another in social justice causes? Well, let's look at it a little bit further. I'm throwing out some quotes here. Again, we want to cover this so we can get right to the root of the matter from a biblical Judeo-Christian perspective on this. But Gary DeMar says, in reality, the cry for social justice is a call for the state to do something, to fix economic and relational inequities without any regard to a universal principle of justice. By describing justice in social rather than legal terms— Our attention is immediately drawn to national problems that can only be fixed by a civil government with enough power to enforce its policies. So then advocates of social justice believe that the state plays the major role in rectifying so-called social problems because they are national in scope. So. DeMar and others have what we believe, what we can see from this, a certain approach of government to administer social justice, and it goes beyond its mandate, sometimes simply throwing money or programs, creating new societal programs, ultimately create new societal problems without really seeking to understand the underlying issues. They tend, I believe, to make the problems worse, creating dependency rather than creating lasting, sustainable Reform. In fact, poverty has risen 11.6% despite all the efforts to redistribute wealth. As of 2021, poverty in America continues to be an issue with nearly 40 million people in a state of poverty, and certain policymakers tend to use this data for manipulative purposes rather than desiring to make real change. So when we examine this from a biblical perspective, that's ultimately where we want to go on this program. After all, it is engaged in truth. We need to look biblically on this matter and find out where we have gone awry. Why is it that when we want government to get bigger and solve all of our problems, it only makes the matters worse? I think the obvious is before us. It's because they're using a secular tactic and secular means to absolve a spiritual problem. As we just talked about, this is a sin issue at its root. That's why God called on the church to be the source of healing, the source of solution in a culture that was seeking a secular means for a much deeper problem. And that's why the church is called to be the change agents in the culture. And for many years, that was the case. The church was the source dealing with 
uh, orphans and attending to them, the widows, those who were poor and impoverished in some way, the oppressed in our society. The church was the solution because the church addressed the deeper root problem. So they were able to clothe those who were in need, but they ultimately were clothing them with a spiritual level of understanding that changed the person from the inside out. And so let's look at that from some of the biblical understandings of this. I mean, we look at the early church in Acts 2, 44 to 47, and some say, well, look at this. It's a redistribution of wealth. And they misuse this text entirely. Uh, but it says, now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. I mean, the communal sharing of this was a voluntary method of meeting pressing needs within the church. And I have seen that at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church. It seems like a shameless plug at this point, but I'm telling you, when a fellowship truly operates as a body of believers, we have made requests known, hey, uh, this family needs a car. By the end of that morning, we have already had people step forward to want to give them a car. If somebody had plumbing issues or electrical issues or challenges in their home, we had the flooding recently with some homes that were flooded. I couldn't even get through an afternoon after a request was made with people coming forward to help meet that need wow. immediately. That is what the body of Christ is supposed to do. We're not pew warmers and chair warmers. <laughs> Our Bible is not supposed to be used to hold down our coffee table. Rather, we put these things to practice and we see the body of Christ meeting needs, not just within its body, but those who are coming into the body. Because by meeting the need, we introduce them to Jesus. That's yeah. really the goal here. But it's not misleading. We're not abating and switching by saying, oh, we're going to clothe you, but only if you accept Jesus. No, it's to introduce them to the open arms of a Savior who loves them, a God who loved them before they ever breathed their first. So this is a far cry from the politically driven socioeconomic Marxism, communism, or socialism rhetoric that exists in present times, all of which grants citizens the right to possess a large share of society's burdens, but only a small or perhaps in a percentage share of its benefits, right? So, I mean, we need to be careful about confusing social justice with biblical terminology and insights into ethical concepts such as justice in general, because there's no doubt that the Bible supports justice. One of my favorite verses, Micah 6.8, we are told to act justly. And we see that he has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. I mean, elements of justice are also found in the so-called golden rule vo voiced by Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Do unto others as you have them do unto you. And uh, we see a, a version of that as the Lord instructs us. It is a, a practical application of Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. But Isaiah 1, 16 to 17 tells us to seek justice and defend the oppressed. Proverbs 31, 8 to 9 commands us to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves and to defend the rights of the poor and needy. Isaiah 58, 6 to 7 says, Is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? And when you see the naked, that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? 
We see in James 1.27, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So clearly the Bible teaches justice and mercy. But problems and questions arise when we take such passages and force them into a particular modern interpretation that is politically motivated. So given that we are made in God's image, it follows that human beings are of incredible value and worth. We see that in Psalm 139. As such, we should do what we can to help others who are in need. But this doesn't mean that we're to compromise our core Christian beliefs in the process or water down the message of the gospel or overemphasize physical needs over salvation or buy into political philosophies such as socialism or Marxism that are, some would strongly argue, in direct odds with the Christian worldview. So we're to have discernment about social justice. Paul said, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat in 2 Thessalonians 3.10. And a careful reading of the New Testament will reveal the parameters for helping and giving to others. In 1 Timothy 5.3-6, for example, Paul admonishes the church to care for widows, but with some stipulations, right? So we ask about Christ's words. We think about those in Matthew 25.31-40. In that passage, the sheep are commanded for actually commended rather for their great compassion for those in need. I mean, so they're commended by the Lord Jesus. They're taking care of the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, those who are naked, sick, or in prison. So in caring for those in need, the righteous discover that their acts of compassion for the needy are the same as if done for Jesus Christ himself. So Christians are indeed supposed to be compassionate But their compassion should naturally flow from their salvation and love for God, not out of a feeling of obligation or thinking that good works will somehow save them. Being compassionate, though, does not mean believing in worldviews or even aspects of worldviews that would compromise the faith. I, I love what John Wheaton, who's a lawyer, here's what he said on this. Recognizing that life can and should be just Though not always fair, Christians can take the lead in church and charitable work and in advocating the careful application of state-sponsored social action. Only Christians can offer the disadvantaged, both in the church and society, true love and spiritual healing. And ultimately, only Christians can give God the glory in the process. By doing so, they thus fulfill the law of Christ, according to Galatians chapter 2 excuse me, Galatians chapter 6, verses 2 to 10. And I believe these are, there there are several areas, Dr. Ford, as we can talk about this in our final minutes together, in which Christians can agree and even implement some forms of social justice, a biblical perspective on that, not the societal defined terms for social justice, because we know how skewed that has become. Because God is a God of justice, and he desires us to seek justice as well. And I know that the world will always have people who are in need, and we must do all that we can individually and as a church to help them. And we're also to have compassion for others. That should naturally flow out of our love for God is because it's it, our, God is center of everything, our entire existence. And we go back to these great commandments that, that the Lord Jesus gave us, uh, but it should be at not out of a legalistic perspective, not out of a forced obligation, but because God is the center of our world, we so love him, then naturally the the follow-up to that is that we love our neighbor. Likewise, the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 22, 37 to 40, 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And yet, why is that so hard to do? I mean, you know, Dr. Ford, we see it all around us that God has instituted government, but government is not always right. We're to obey God rather than humans. We see that in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, even though that he has given us government, we're to understand how we're to submit to certain governing authorities, but not if it goes against God's word and instruction. And so we have these guilt tactics that are being laden on the church, trying to solve all the problems of the day from a purely secular perspective, not understanding that it is a purely biblical guide to handling these matters that we go to the root of the matter and we look to the inward parts of a man that their mind have to be transformed by the washing renewing of their minds that they see sin for what it is they're changed in their hearts and ultimately the byproduct of that is how their actions are changed in society only the word of god can do that no secular approach can truly do that so if you're going to try to meet the need and try to absolve these matters that are physical conditions that are ultimately sin issues, you need the Word of God to transform the person from the inside out. And given that there are so many approaches to and definitions of the social justice, we must always be discerning. Let me add this, Dr. Ford. I'd love to get your final thoughts on this since I haven't given you much time (laughs) to interject here uh, because I really wanted to get through this topic of social justice today. But here's the bottom line. We must do what is biblically right. Treating people with gentleness love and respect without compromising the truth or the message of the gospel that will truly transform a person from the inside out, according to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. So at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addressed the root of this issue, which is sin. It's a heart condition. If you don't seek to change the hearts and minds of people, then you'll only deal with the outward issues and there will be no lasting change. But to reach the heart, you must extend a hand. So as we feed the hungry, we also feed the soul so that they learn to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And Jesus would feed the masses physically and then spend more time feeding them spiritually. So as we serve those around us, we will model the actions of Jesus. That's ultimately, it seems that the whole goal here is the fact that the poor are amongst us. So those who have can learn to give freely. The Lord loves a cheerful giver after all. So it almost seems to be a test of their hearts. That will I give to this person, but just giving them $5 is not going to change their world. Right, right? We have to do more. We got to go deeper than that. And there are certainly going to be times where giving $5 may be a blessing. We, we do that even through our tips, right? We want to bless our waiters and waitresses. We want them to see that as Christians, we're not taking advantage of their service. They're working and sometimes there's working poor amongst us. And we need to tend to them and to respect them greatly. But I also think that we can do better about ministering to the hearts of people. We've got a great services here in town, even the Springs Rescue Mission. If people are just wanting to get off the street, certainly they can give them a bed and a, a warm meal. But they would rather be able to pull you through and guide you down a path of transformation of the heart in which you can get off the streets entirely. You have a, a new way of thinking, a new paradigm, and, and you're educated in those matters. So certainly you, you learn how to hold down a job and get an address so that you can receive your bills and learn how to pay those bills and become a, a productive citizen, right? And so they would rather transform the mind and guide you down that path. So we can do both. We can certainly minister to both, but we can't expect just giving $5 is going to change their heart, change their mind, or even lead them to Christ perhaps. But 
Ultimately, that's what we should seek is a transformation of a mind, transformation of a, of a heart, that salvation would come to the soul of the individual. And I think that when we see America working all around the world, we find that we're trying to make people think Western. Right. What we rather we should be doing is how do they think like Jesus? Right. right. Exactly. So in our final minute, Dr. Ford, any final thoughts from you, my friend? No, I think you just nailed it on the head right there. I think you know, it's obviously from the things that you've said that these social ills, the social problems that we have can uh, really, when you go to the lowest common denominator, they are sin problems. And the solution for that is the truth, the truth of Jesus Christ, that he came to, to live and die and suffer and die on the cross and be resurrected to save them. And that is their ultimate salvation, not only in the next life, but in this life as well. That's right. You know, if we actually did the Great Commission, we would see nations changed, right? We'd no longer be dependent Definitely. on our government to solve yeah. these things. That's right. To to deal with orphans and widows and all these things and not just deal with it. It's a privilege to be able to serve them. But we would rather than abdicating to government agencies to do what the church is supposed to do, if we actually went out and did the Great Commission, entire societies would be changed. Amen. And we would see transformation all across the world. That's ultimately what we would seek. So I think that's the better understanding of a biblical perspective of social justice. Again, if you'd like to learn more about this, you can reach out to us at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church. This is a program of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church. And you can learn more at calvaryfountain.com. Services are 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sundays. We'd certainly love to see you there. God bless you, my friends. Take care.